Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Four Feathers Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. I'm joined by Tony Marchese and Ron Luce. It's time to crack cold one and get caught up on your Chicago Blackhawks. What's up, boys? How are we doing? What are we drinking on the night? What's going on, Johnny? I've got the, uh, the good old Budweiser, my go-to beer. Ron? Very nice. Uh, gentlemen, uh, how's it going? I am drinking a uh, Ballast Point Benito Blondale. I'm going a little bougier tonight here uh, Ooh, with Ron, my beer choice. Fancy, fancy. Ron, Ron's a, yeah, Ron's a fancy guy tonight. I am uh, never change anything ever. Ice cold bush light in hand, ready to talk about the Hawks. Anheuser-Busch Brothers right here. That's right. The real Ugh. question is, Johnny, is it a limited edition Illini can or just a mm. traditional? No. So the thing with those limited edition cans, they do them for hunting season. So they run from like mid-September through like, I'd say like almost end of December. So now um, you'd have to go to a store that is still has like some like back stock. Let's on be those real. He other drank ones. all those. Yeah. Um, Oh, I did. I absolutely did. I crushed them during that time period. But now it's back to the standard uh, old light blue can, which is fine. Still tastes delicious. So, All right, let's get into it. Uh, we got some Hawk stuff to talk about. Um, last week Last week of games, um, on Thursday night, Tony and I talked last Tuesday um, when they, uh, let's see, what was that? Last Tuesday, we lost at New Jersey. That's right. Um, or last Monday. And then, so then, the game since then, Thursday night at New York, uh, the Rangers was a 4-3 loss. Uh, Sunday was an 8-5 win over Washington, a wild one there. And then Tuesday night, last night, um, was a 3-2 shootout winner against the Islanders at home. Um, so, went into the All-Star break on a good note. Guys, um, what are your observations um, from any of those games? You can pick one out. You can talk about them. Blanket, whatever. Ron, I'll hand it over to you first. Sure. I mean, um, actually have gotten to see all three of these games. I feel like it's the first time in a while that I've gotten to actually sit down and watch them and enjoy them. Um, I'm going to blanket them a little bit, but I, I think it, my favorite game to watch was by far Sunday's game. And everybody's going to be like, well, yeah, there was – 13 goals scored well, yeah there was a lot of goal scoring which was always fun and it's cool seeing Taves get a hat trick and you know him getting to the 20 goal plateau for the 12th time in his career which is legendary numbers um in the all-time you know um you know standings in the NHL for for goal scoring and uh you know they even though they gave up five they still win and this is great and blah 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 I was honestly loving the fact of how chippy the game got like it has been a hot minute since a Hawks game has been that chippy. It kind of reminds me back to circa like 2009, 2010, uh, whenever they'd go play Vancouver and there was always a party in the Sinbin every single time they would play them. I remember one game in particular, it was like a full blown line brawl, like four different guys were fighting. You know, and they put everybody in the box and guys were like sitting on the floor in the box because they couldn't fit anybody else in there. And like it kind of brought me back to that. So I think that's why I enjoyed that game the most. But uh, two big wins against two very good teams in, in Washington and New York, uh, New York being the Islanders, not the Rangers. Um, 
uh, overall good goaltending. I think that's been key uh, when you're giving up the most shots in the league and you're still in games. I, I think that's a, a true testament to your goaltending. So um, good games all around. I think they were all very fun to watch, uh, but I definitely enjoyed Sunday's game the most. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts? So the Rangers game feels so far away at this point in time. I can't even really remember what happened there. Um, Ron, I, I agree with your thoughts on, on Sunday. Um, I caught the end of the second, third period of that game. I actually went back and watched the first afterwards, but uh, that game was awesome. It was, I, I think, when you have somebody in a game like Alex Ovechkin, uh and Patrick Kane, it's much must-watch TV. So, I mean, you have to turn into uh, tune into that game. And Johnny Tave showed up to play. And seeing him, and, and I've gone on this rant too many times, it's all about those top-line guys, man. And seeing Johnny Taves actually take control of the game was very refreshing for me because – you know, there's been times during this year where he's been completely absent and watching him just take control of the game, put the hat trick down. And, uh, Kane was up there too. He just missed getting the hat trick. Uh, I was a little disappointed that I think it was Strom took the empty netter away from Kane at the end of the game. Uh, I would have liked to see Kane get that hattie, but, uh, beggars can't be choosers. They beat the defending champions. So, Good on that, but uh, Tuesday against the Islanders was actually more entertaining for me just because of the way that New York has played. And when this game started, I thought, well, they're fucked, man. I thought they were done. Um, watching them battle back through that game was just awesome. And then there's one trend that I've really followed, and that's the overtime loss. It just seems like every time the Hawks go to overtime, there's never any certainty that they're going to win and they hung with it that overtime period was probably the most entertaining hockey I think that they've played all year Uh, I think we even said something in the group chat like wow that was fucking intense I loved seeing uh, the battle back and forth there was so many you know high percentage scoring chances that were taken during the OT it was back and forth Uh, that three on three hockey I, I just fucking love it and then to see it go to the shootout and Kane and Taves, I mean, it was it was nostalgic in a way, um, and I like seeing that. You would like to see a little bit more, um, you know, from from some other guys out there. Again, I think Brandon Saad was a little bit absent in some of this shit that uh, that's happened over the past week, but uh, Kane and Taves have showed up, and that's what it takes for the Hawks to win. And uh, kudos also to Cam Ward um, in that game on I think it was Tuesday, right? Tuesday, Cam Ward was out there because uh, they were wearing the black and whites again, and I know everybody wanted to see uh, the sick brown pads from uh, from Mr. Callen. But um, don't forget Cam the Ward, sick uh, waffle board too. Yeah, the waffle, the waffle board dotted uh, blocker that he's got. But Cam Ward really actually showed up in that game, and I think that's one of the reasons they hung it into it in overtime. Uh, the play from Delia has not been great, and a lot of those overtime losses that I've seen happen are. Not so much goaltending mistakes, but I just don't think that he has a lot of experience stopping some of those shots in the three-on-three, and I think that's where there's some some room for improvement for him. But 
you know, seeing Cam Ward come shut that down that entire period against uh, a high-powered offense like uh, the Islanders have, that was that was excellent. So Tuesday was my standout game. Uh, good to go into the break on a win, but um, we'll talk a little bit more about what those two wins mean when we get to another segment down the road. Yeah, so I got a few points on um, all of those games just to build on that. So going back Thursday night, 4-3 loss, um, in New York against the Rangers. Um, that one was really disappointing for me. Um, they just looked flat. They looked dead, uh, looked tired. They got outshot, outplayed, outworked, whatever you name it. Um, they scored a goal uh, on the power play um, about a minute and 40 into the third period, and I thought, hey, okay, this is, you know, team is showing signs of life, and then they just completely rolled over and died. Um, so that was disappointing. That was the fifth um that extended their losing streak to five games. So it's like thinking, oh, my God, is this going to continue all the way through um, to uh, leading up to the All-Star break? But then Sunday, um, that was impressive. Obviously, uh, Tony, you mentioned it about Johnny Taves taking over the game. Um, Taves and Kane combined for uh, 10 points in that game. They're put together on a line. Uh, top line consisted of Drake Kajula, John Taves, and uh, Patrick Kane. So that was good to see that, um, you know, it Kaladin's not as drastic with uh, line blending as Q was, but uh, now that he goes with that nuclear option, it's good to see him putting up points. Um, obviously a wild one there, Ron. I also like the chippiness in that game. Uh, Keith and Seabrook getting into it with Tom Wilson, who's a noted agitator. Um, but that was a fun one to watch. And then Tuesday night's game, um, that was only the second shootout the Hawks have been in all season. Um, so it was good to see, you know, you see Taves come in for that first attempt, Um and you think he's going to go with this regular move that he always does, the uh, kind of get the goalie lean one way, open up a little bit, and then fire five hole. That's kind of his, been his signature throughout his career. But instead of that, as he comes to his forehand, he sees the goalie drop down a little bit, so then he brings it to his back and then roofs one, so over glove side. So that was that was good to see a little uh, change up from Johnny Taves there. And then Patrick Kane's just Patrick Kane. you got to watch that one from the back angle, like if you're looking at it from Cam Ward's angle to really appreciate what he did there. Um, fired one, and then, you know, Ward locking it down there on that last save on uh, Matthew Barzell. So um, good stuff heading into the break. Um, I was really encouraged by those last two games. Um, but that also brings us into the next topic that Tony had hinted at. Um, so after this, sure, those are great wins against good teams. But, you know, then we get today, Chicago Sun-Times article talking about the Blackhawks making the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? This is a ongoing fucking roller coaster that we've, I think, all been through this year, right? Every time we go on a losing streak... We'll then rattle off two wins or something along the lines of a good stretch of hockey. And then we get this media push from some of the big names, the Sun-Times, the Blackhawks beat writers, where, or, or even the Blackhawks themselves. You know, we think we can go make the playoffs. And some of the players are, are even towing the line here too because what the fuck else are they going to say, right? What else are they going to say? Are they going to say, no, we're trying to tank for, you know, Hughes? They're not going to fucking say that. Neither is any one of the beat writers who have a close connection to the Hawks. And we've seen this in Blackhawks Twitter a little bit too, where you get some of these guys who are out there saying, well, the Hawks are going to compete. And then you've got the other side that says every time they win, that's bad for the Hawks. And I, it's at a point right now where it drives me just 
up the fucking wall because this team is not built as it stands to go to the playoffs. Sure, they can win games against the Capitals. Sure, they can win games against the Islanders. They can play to a different level, I think, when they're up against top talent. But it I don't I don't want to say that it's luck. I think it's more or less the fact that some of these top line guys like to play at that pace and they will play harder than if they're playing a bottom feeder team so that, you know, I mean, they don't want to look like they're done in the league. I think there's a lot of pride that guys like Kane and Taves take. And when you get a back, back two games in a row, not back to back, but two games in a row against, you know, the defending Stanley Cup champions and the New York Islanders, you're going to see the best hockey out of Johnny Taves. You're going to see the best hockey out of Patrick Kane. You're going to see guys like Cam Ward, who you know want to play at a high level and prove that they still have something, you're going to see those guys fucking show up. And that's what we get every time. And then every time that that happens, we get a report like the one that came out of the Sun-Times today that says the Hawks are you know trying to go on this miracle run and come back and make the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. But at the same point in time, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying win- a, a, a two-game winning streak against two highly competitive teams. And I, I'm just sick of the meltdowns that people are having on Twitter over the fact that, like, we shouldn't be celebrating their wins because those are just, you know, are you a fan of this team? I'm not naming names here, but if you're seriously going to come after the fact that the Hawks played a good game against the New York Islanders and say that it's bad for the team, then you're not really a fan, in my opinion. You need to you need to appreciate what these guys are doing, and when we get our wins, it's enjoyable. When we go on a five game losing streak, yeah, that's going to help our draft position. But I think there needs to be a happy medium here, and I don't think, in in my opinion, I don't think that the Blackhawks front office really helps when it comes to what the expectations are for this team. And we talked about that on the Q show when Q was fired. You know, there's no clear direction. And if the team doesn't mark a clear direction, you look at some of the other rebuilding teams, if there's no clear direction, it leaves it open for the media, it leaves it open for people on Twitter, it leaves it open for people in our position to interpret things the way they want to. And everybody wants to be right on that direction. Guys, what do you, what do you guys feel about this? I mean, this is a hot topic here. What, what's the direction of this team? Who's at fault here? Well, Tony, I think to your point, I just want to revisit it. I agree. I think it is hard when when you're a diehard fan and, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a diehard fan. You want to see your team win. That's normal. That's natural. That's that's fandom. That's fandom at its finest. But, you know, again, to to the to the fans that realize that it's like, look, this team is not going to make the playoffs this year. They're too far out of it. The miracle run. Could it happen? Sure. Anything's possible. Is it likely to happen? Probably not. You know, just realistically, it's probably not going to happen. They need to go at some crazy pace. I think we've discussed it before. It's like a 37-13 pace or something crazy like that the rest of the way. Now that's probably even less because they're they're over 50 games now. You know, excuse me. You know, I think there's just – there's a lot of – a lot of – you know, agreed. Pump the brakes a little bit here with the playoff talk. But – 
to to actually answer your question, I think it is the front office's fault. And, you know, you don't fire a coach who's a guaranteed Hall of Famer and say it's his fault we have a playoff team. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Seriously, though, I mean, it's like, you know, sure. Was That's it refreshing coming guard? from you, Ron. You're welcome. Yeah, but, uh, you know, to, to the point, though, is it is it fair sometimes that a shakeup is good for a team? Yes, I think it is. A roster shakeup, sometimes a coaching shakeup, whatever it may be. You know, it, people staying in one spot for too long can become worse than it is better sometimes. It's just normal happens in careers it happens all the time but that being said don't sit here and fire your head coach on what were they on at the time a three four game losing streak playing some of their worst hockey of the season yeah but they've played I, i feel like they've played worse hockey right after that transition too like it didn't yes it the the impact of the firing wasn't i i shouldn't say the impact the direction that the team took when they fired Quinville and put Colleton in there was not the shakeup that people would expect. You see like a team with that, you know, if you take Quinville out of it, you take the three Stanley Cups out of it, and you look at this roster at the beginning of the year and what the goals of the organization were, and you say, okay, they're struggling right now. We have an incumbent coach who's not getting the job done. We're going to fire him. We're going to bring in somebody else. We're going to light a fire underneath these guys' asses and expect them to play better. That didn't happen. Not right away, at least. The The effect of the change was not successful if you're looking at it through the glass of, we need this team to make the playoffs this year. We're going to make a coaching change, and that's going to be what's going to drive this team to the next level. Because they they were just as flat as they were under Quinville as they were under Colleton as soon as he took over. Granted, some things have gotten better, the power play for one, but it didn't do what it needed to do if you were going to try and sell that move, in my opinion, as a, this is what we're doing so that we can make the playoffs. And that's what John McDonough and Stan Bowman came out and said in that press conference. Yeah, agreed. And the problem is, is, you know, Stan is just a puppet for McDonough, you know, and he's there to say the things that McDonough wants. McDonough, McDonough's not a hockey guy. And I know we've discussed this previously, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse. You know, McDonough is not a hockey guy. He is a businessman. He is a PR guru. And he's crushed at that. Look at what this team has turned into from 15 years ago in terms of PR. It is yeah no nobody's arguing complete one eighty, right? But if he's gonna sit here and say we have a playoff roster, I let me put this into perspective. I love Marcus Kruger, big Marcus Kruger fan. I like what he brings to the table. But why the fuck is he playing a third line wing spot? Don't sit here and tell me you have a playoff roster if he's playing a third line wing spot and you're expecting him to score. They have five players on this team that can score. Everybody else is in single-digit goals right now. They have five guys that are in double-digit goals. Strom, who's got – I believe he just scored his 12th of the season, and obviously not all of that is with Chicago this year. And then you have 
Sod's at 15. I'm doing this all from memory. Taves is now at, yep. Yeah, De- Taves is now at 22 after the Islanders game. Debrinket is at 25 and Kane's at 29. You're a top-heavy team. Look at the New York Islanders, the team we just played. They have eight guys in double-digit goals. That's scoring depth. That's a playoff team. Not a team that is being just freaking dominated by five players. You're not going to win that way when your bottom six can barely score. But here's my question to you guys. Do you think that the front office understands what they have and are trying to just you know, get the dollar out of the fan for the rest of the season and into next year by saying we're a playoff team when, you know, the – it doesn't take even like the, like the casual fan can look at the standings and see where the Hawks are. Like it's it, – that's that to me, when you get a report that comes out of the Sun-Times today after two wins and says something about, you know, this team's looking to make the playoffs, it looks like – John McDonough made a phone call and said, hey, can you write this article for me so that I could sell tickets right after the fucking All-Star break? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it looks like to me. Like, it looks like they're trying so hard because you see the plugs from Pat Foley. Like, hey, great seat's still available. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to, you know, get people amped up enough to come to these games? Or is it did they actually really think that hey, this team can go on an actual run and fucking make the playoffs because there's two different things there. There's two different things at play. One is we're trying to grab the dollar, and the other is we actually believe in the roster that we have. And if they actually believe in the roster that they have, I think that they're greatly mistaken in what they've got. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think I think a lot of it is driven by the dollar. I think the problem is is that when they made the comment about we are a playoff team, they're relying too heavily on a core that's aging. Now, don't get me wrong. Taves and Kane are still very much in the prime of their careers. They're only 30 years old. They've just been around forever, so everybody assumes they're older. But Duncan Keith is not the same player he was. Brent Seabrook certainly not the same player he was. Corey Crawford's hurt. You know, Marion Host is gone. A lot of these kind of key guys that were there for these playoff runs are not there anymore. You know, now, you know, you're you're starting to see that it is just the front office trying to trying to, you know, what I believe the term is uh, polish a turd. It's still a turd. You know, they're trying to just window dress this team into being a playoff team, but it's clearly not. And now you're starting to see the report surface. The Blackhawks are willing to trade Marcus Kruger. They're willing to trade Andreas Martinson. They're willing to trade, I forgot who the third name was. But Who you know, wants any of these guys? Who the fuck <laughs> wants any of these guys? Peter Chiarelli's gone, Nobody. guys. There's no, there's no more, <laughs> there's no more gifts. There's no more gifts. Who, yeah. who wants any of these guys? And that's the problem. And if they really, truly want to sell guys off for assets, you're going to have to move somebody who's part of the, even though it's an old core, the core. Okay. So they all have, they all have no trade clauses, no movement clauses, whatever. So let's, let's get into the whole, let's trade Patrick Kane thing. why, Why not? Okay. We've seen all of this hoopla over what it would you know what trading patrick kane or like a johnny taves or somebody like that would bring back to the team and i would i would argue that if you do that 
you're trading away guys who would actually still be able to compete if you're trying to turn this around in a two to three year window. So why would you do yeah. so? So the, that is just about a max value. That's obviously who you'd get max value for. You get way more for obviously Kane would bring back a, just a slew of, you know, uh, younger guys on smaller contracts and all that. Um, so that that's where that comes from for value wise. Um, but if you're looking at realistic who they trade, you probably got to look down more on like a Eric Gustafson type. I'd say that's probably the most realistic piece that gets moved um, coming up at the trade deadline. But we get back to the Kane thing. So you see all these reports floating and everybody talks about the possibility of it and what it would mean or why they would do it or this and that. I haven't seen any concrete. Here is a package that would be comparable um, in value to trading Patrick Kane. I haven't seen it and I just don't I don't see it happening. It's not. No team is, and now that Peter Chiarelli's gone, like you mentioned, Tony, no team will mortgage their future or such a massive haul for just one player. He's a great player. He's one of the best in the league. Don't get me wrong, but I doubt, I don't see any team right now that would do that or any GM that would make an offer that would be acceptable on both sides. So here's my question um, for you guys. it's, It's all speculation to me. Here's my question for you guys. Do we trust that Stan Bowman will not make a move, including a guy like Patrick Kane, for less than he's worth? Do we trust that? I think so. I, I think even he can't get to that level of, um, you know, not yeah, max value out of out of your best player. It's just not. I don't, I don't care what his moves have been in the past. And, you know, we, we've talked about both good and bad with him in the past. Obviously, there was some tough contracts to sign after the Cup and all that, and those could be considered your bad moves, your trading Tavo and that. But n- none of them are this, this size, this magnitude of Patrick Kane. So I honestly, I, I if you're asking me the question, you need an answer. Yes, I do trust him that he would not move him if the return was not, um, you know, uh, replenishing the Blackhawks for years to come. Yeah, I think I think I would trust him when it comes to only Kane and Taves, um, because they are such big contracts. You're going to be moving value for value. I think teams still realize that these guys are just still two of the best players in the NHL. You know, teams aren't stupid and they're not going to sit here and go, "Well, will you give you a late first round pick and okay prospect and something else for Patrick Kane?" They 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 know that's not going to happen. I think it's the other guys where I might not trust Bowman. And by the other guys, I say <clears throat> guys that have some value still. And and those guys to me are Gus because of the offensive value he brings. There's some team that would just lose their mind to have a guy like that at power play quarterback at $1.2 million for what he's bringing offensively this year. Maybe like a sod. I feel like they would undersell on, and I think that would screw them in the end. Um, yeah, he's maybe, a big one. Yeah, Artem Anisimov. I mean, granted, Artem Anisimov at this point, in, to, in my opinions, if you can get a third-round pick for him, I call that a victory. But, uh, you know, I think it's more of those guys where, <clears throat> you know, he, he might hit the panic button a little faster, where he could probably finesse an okay trade for both sides but might be a little premature in pulling the trigger. But I, I think when it comes to the big guys, it's 
your big guys are so hard to trade in today's NHL because of the salary cap alone and just because of the value they bring to their teams that so so many teams to your point are are very they they realize yes I think a, a good example is you know a team that's very close on the cusp and sits there and goes well we have the prospect depth we have the you know the the draft pick capital to well, make a deal for a guy like Patrick Kane but the it becomes you know can we fit him under the cap that's a huge and, point that's a huge point because a yeah. lot of the teams who you'd think that Patrick Kane would go to this isn't this isn't a you know deadline acquisition that's going to put you over the top for one year and you're not going to have to worry about a 10 million dollar cap hit this is a guy that you're going to have to fit underneath your salary cap for years to come and you're going to have to give the hawks back i mean a lot of teams at least six million dollars back coming back to the hawks so i i don't know i I don't see it happening but i i'm just I want to know where you guys gauge the trust in Stan Bowman not to get something back that's subpar. I mean, we're not talking baseball here. We're not talking, you know, uh, for a good example, uh, Johnny, I like to I like to look at that as kind of like the Chris Sale trade, right? You know, you trade away somebody who is still in their prime, is still going to have an impact on the team for years to come, who's locked up. And I just don't I don't see the value coming back to the Hawks unless it's somebody else who's Patrick Kane esque and NHL ready and already proven and is on a lesser deal and then the other team would have to worry about cap space so I I do trust that but there's just some there's been some rumblings out there that make me uncomfortable. Yeah, and and I mean at least the the good thing is for those that are are kind of because Tony, I don't think you're freaking out. I think you know you're just stating an honest opinion. But there are some people that are like hardcore fanboying, fangirling over Kane, and are like, "How dare you say that?" And it's like, "All right, hold on, pump the brakes here. Nothing is confirmed. There is no rumors of Patrick Kane getting traded. I think it's it's just the classic case of a well." If we're going to sit here and be like, well, are they going to who are they going to trade? What can you get for these guys? I think it is kind of interesting to sit here and think, because I think, Johnny, you brought up a great point. There is no trade in recent memory of the salary cap era that you can sit there and compare and go, "Okay, Patrick Kane slots in with Joe Schmo and this team got this, 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 this and this for this guy. That would be the first of its kind type trade. You know, a generational, ta- a top 100 players of all time player being traded when he's still probably got three years of this level type production left in him. I'd argue that he's got even more than that. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that's being conservative, though. Let's say he, he produces that, let's say, at a 100 point clip until he's 33. And then it starts to digress into, God forbid, into the 70s. Oh, I mean, he's going to be good for a while yet. I mean, he at least is, I think, going to be at an MVP level, at least through the remainder of his contract, which is four years. So you figure a team at least just looks at those four years. They say, what this is what we're getting out of Patrick Kane for four years. You know, I, there there's so many moving pieces. The likeliness of it happening is probably zero. But I think it is interesting to consider because then you actually do have to sit back and go, well, the, the guys that are actual movable contracts, 
I argue a Duncan Keith who I think would move his no you know, would wave his no move clause to have a chance to win another cup. Why not? And there's going to be a team out there that needs a good guy who's got playoff experience who's going to eat minutes for you and be a nice number three perhaps where he doesn't have to play as such a critical role and, and can be worth the 5-5 five, five cap hit that he is. Because let's be honest, even a 34-year-old Duncan Keith at 5-5 five, five on a team that's competing and needs a defenseman is still much more valuable than than some of the other possible choices out there on the market. So um, I think it's definitely interesting. I'll take just two Brandon Mannings. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, would you like two Brandon Mannings or a Duncan Keith for the same price? You tell me. Um, you know, I think it's just it's interesting to sit here and think about because you have to think they're going to have to trade someone at some point. And you would you would prefer them. And I, I heard this on another podcast earlier today, and I do agree with the point wholly. You would rather them trade a guy a year too early than a year too late and get a good return on him. And I think a good example of that is a Duncan Keith. You know, Brent Seabrook's not getting traded just because his, his contract is essentially not movable for what he's doing right now. And I think Kane and Taves are just unmovable from their pure number volume perspective. Let's talk a so, little bit about uh, Brent Seabrick, though. Uh, and you bring up a good point. Uh, Patrick Kane made a statement through the media that uh, Brent Seabrook is the heart and soul of the Blackhawks. And we talked a little bit about this in our group chat as well, that I don't think that Patrick Kane's lying when he says that. And, you know, you talk about how bad that contract is. And, you know, it's a PR move for Kane to say that he's worth every dollar because we know when you look at that roster and you look at the contracts associated with it, that that Brent Seabrook's not producing at that level at all. I mean, that's hands down not true but you know you talk about the the price you pay for some of these stanley cups i think that i think kane's right and i hate to have to swallow that and agree with him but if you look at somebody who who like who else would be the captain of this team if it wasn't jonathan taves and it's brent seabrook that guy's been the most stable on the ice, off the ice, presence that the Hawks have had since even before they were successful. And there's never been like a an issue with him. There's never been a off-the-ice incident. He's looked at as a leader. He's come up in big-time situations. Guys go to him. I, I think Johnny, you sent a picture of it in the penalty box where he's, you know, consoling. Was it was it Patrick Kane or Johnny yep. Taves? It was Taves, right? It was Taves, twenty thirteen, um, against Detroit in the playoffs. I mean, you just look at some of the impact that this guy's had, and I agree with Kane's statement here that a lot of this doesn't happen without Brent Seabrook, and if there's one guy that we just have to eat it and give him his money. I don't think that there's anybody else besides Brent Seabrook that I'd rather see that for. And I know we want to be hard on him and I know we want to go after him, but I, you know, if, if I take a step back here, I really think that like, if we're going through a rebuild and Brent Seabrook's the guy that has to sit there with the fucking terrible contract, there's no other guy that I would rather have sitting there trying to, mentor some of these young defensemen 
you know, you even even with Duncan Keith on the roster, I still feel like Brent Seabrook is that guy. So I'm 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 kind of off that. Let's rip on Stan for that contract type thing. I mean, yeah, it probably could have been a million or two shorter, but you know, you, you gotta. I think you gotta back off it a little bit. Yeah, so Kane's comments were that um, Seabrook was, you know, he says everybody likes to get on him because um, because of the contract. And if you ask me, I think he's uh, underpaid. He's the heart and soul of this team, and that's kind of where his comments led there. He kind of uh, expanded on it a little bit more, but that was the gist of it. Um, I don't, so then you get on you, know, you get on Twitter.com, you log in, and, of course, someone sees that, and they have to go and point out um, – Seabrook's numbers with Kane, without Kane, um, you know, and it's like Tony summed it up best there, but I just want to like bitching about that stuff is not going to reduce Seabrook's contract magically. It's there. Everyone knows everyone that's logical about these numbers under an NHL salary cap knows that it, sure it is bad. It, it limits um, a little bit of what Stan was able to do in the past years. Now it's nice to level more flexibility going forward with um, just the cap space that we've created and then the increase uh, coming up. But the the comments themselves there, uh, Tony, I agree 100%. If Jonathan Taze wasn't the captain, I would guarantee Brent Seabrooks were in that C um, on his chest. Um, I, I think he's the heart and soul of the team. He's missed one game this year. Um, you talk about, like, the uh, I forget when it was, but whenever he was out, out uh, with an illness, um, you could just tell that night we lost, and I'm not saying Brent Seabrook in the game would have made us win that game. Uh, it's not how it works, but you could tell there's a little bit off. Um, just defensive pairs wise, he kind of helps stabilize that. Um, he can play more of that stay at home type if he's playing with like a Forsling or a Gustafson, so they have a little more leeway to go and uh, push the puck forward and take some chances offensively. Um, and then there's the leadership factor. You saw Sunday, uh, Ron said you liked the chippiness that went on Sunday. Um, well, guess who's right in the middle of that? It's Duncan Keith and Tom Wilson going at it. Keith gives him a nice hard check, hip check into the boards. Wilson, of course, he's going to retaliate. And who steps in right away to get him out of his face? Brent Seabrook. Um, that's, I mean, it's not worth that whatever his cap hit is. I mean, I'm not like it's hard to quantify all of that, but there is a heart and soul factor there, and I feel like that needs to be taken into account. And you talk about a team that's struggling overall. Obviously, this is not where they want to be standings-wise. Um, to keep morale up, to keep those guys, uh, keep their heads on straight, even for these young guys that maybe it's their first time really experiencing. Like, think about a Dominic, Dominic Cahoon, his first year in the NHL. Um, you know, he, he may have a different view if there's no Brent Seabrook in that room. So um, I, I think he's definitely valuable. And, Tony, that's basically just doubling up on all the points that you made. But that's my two cents on the matter. Well, and yeah. I also watched after the uh, the Capitals game on Sunday, um, Blackhawks TV, the the little bit after the post game, where they were track like they were going on like over what the guys were getting ready for in the Winter Classic, and you know some of the locker room stuff with with Brent Key, uh, Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith, eh, too many beers, too many Budweisers, um, you know some of that stuff was very refreshing to see. And I think that's where it really cemented for me, even before Kane made those statements, that he's a huge part of this team. And 
missing a guy like that, like you said, Johnny, I, I think that guys like Dominic Cahoon or even Yoki Haru, without that presence in the locker room, you know, how much worse could, would it be for them if they didn't have a guy like Brent Seabrook there? So, I mean, that's, I think, something that needs to be taken and accounted for. And I, it's really easy to go after that contract and be like, I want Seabrook gone. He's a pylon. Not pylon Ruda. Bad, but he's a pylon. You got to yeah, look at his experience and what he agreed. brings. Agreed. Agreed. Agreed 100%. And I just wanted to add on quickly. For the common fan, the common listener, you're at your job. You busted your ass. You know, maybe you do hard labor and you can't do what you used to do, but they pay you more. Are people going to bitch that you get paid more? No. Go get your fucking money, man. Like, your entire point of of your career is to maximize your worth. Brent Seabrook, again, is the heart and soul player of this team. He's been a, an absolute workhorse for those three Stanley Cups. He's one of the original pillars of this team. You know, he was the... Him and Keith were the the two original building blocks of of that dynasty that we were, you know, lucky enough to witness as Blackhawks fans. If Stan wants to pay him the money, he's not going to fucking say no. Go get your fucking money, man. He's set for the rest of his fucking life yeah, now. Get this guy his money, man. Yeah. That's what I'm am. saying here is get this guy his money. And that's why I come back to the whole what's the direction of this team? If it is to rebuild, if it is to go after something in two or three years, why are we bitching about a contract that's for a guy who gave us the the most joy that we're probably ever going to experience in our fucking hockey lives? And and I come back yeah. to that with Kane and Taves too, is the fact that like if they stay around and their levels of production decrease like Ron you said if Kane goes down to a 70 point a year guy ooh that's so bad but i would imagine that people would start bitching and saying we need to get rid of this guy he's not the same you know like that's that's it's the same thing why are we paying him 10 million dollars right now he he used to produce x amount now he's only producing here yeah there's a decline seabrick's experiencing that right now but i feel like there's a lot of people out there who are so this core is aging it's doom and gloom you look at guys like Debrinket and some of these younger guys i mean we're waiting on uh Bockwist. we're waiting on probably our next year draft pick we're going to be waiting on yoki haru to develop into what he needs to be but wouldn't you rather them learn from the guys who have been there, who've been through these playoff runs, through the fucking, you know, 2010 through 2015 seasons to get their experience, to get, you know, the 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 coaching from the, some of those guys rather than trading them all away and letting this core develop underneath a coach who's never been through any of that? There's something to say about the experience yeah. that some of these guys have had and what they're going to pass on to the next Blackhawks that we're going to be watching for the next 10 fucking years. Yeah, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in the locker room um, that the average fan, no matter how dialed in you are to everything, um, the news and all that, you just you just can't understand it unless you're in there. And um, those guys are major parts of building that um, sort of culture in there. Um, so I, I, Tony, for one, I am you know uh, 
I love that they'll be able to learn from winners, proven, uh, sustained winners. So uh, that's where I stand on it. Ron, you got any thoughts? We got a little bit more to get to here. Nope. I, I think I think we, we covered it well. Yeah, so while we were on the topic of um, Brent Seabrook there, and we talked a little bit about Duncan Keith before, um, there's a little bit of a defensive logjam going on. Um, so I just want to talk about, and this kind of ties into that trade stuff too. So Yokihara, he was scratched on Sunday, but he was back in Tuesday night. Dahlstrom was then scratched Tuesday night, so Yokihara, you come back in. Kaladin said that Dahlstrom has been great, but he's rotating guys in to keep everyone involved. Um, Forsling is nearing a return. He's been out um, with an upper torso injury, but he's practicing with the team now, so he's nearing a return. Uh, Jay Zawaski put out a tweet saying, um, I asked one of my best sources about the Blackhawks, about the log jam at defense when Forsling returns, and the response was someone will get traded. So I just wanted to open that up. Um, I kind of gave my take. I think it'd probably be Gustafson, but you guys brought up some good points with uh, Keith and whatnot. Uh, What do you think would be the most likely trade option there? Um, I, I really, I still really think it's going to be Keith. And I I just think from the standpoint of he's such a workhorse defenseman that a, a team that's really that one kind of minute eating defenseman away from being a legit Stanley Cup contender is really going to like him. Um, but but quite honestly, I don't think the Gus option is totally that far out there because, sure, is is he at times a defensive liability? Yes. Sure, is he probably you know a little overwhelmed playing in a top four role? Sure. But if you're a really good fucking team, and have $1.2 million to spare, and you need a power play quarterback, he's the fucking guy right now. Like, it's, he's excelling at that. And I would argue he's, I mean, again, he's playing with great players, so it's not like he's Eric Carlson out there, but he's been a big reason why that power play has been successful, because he can actually quarterback a power play. You know, he's probably one of the few Blackhawks defensemen that can actually quarterback a power play right now. You know, Keith, for whatever reason, was never able to do it successfully over the years. I would argue Seabrook was never really fantastic at it. You know, really, he's probably been their best option that they've had since Brian Campbell as a true power play QB. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I I don't think either one of those guys is out of the option uh, of being traded, but I do think they're going to trade from from strength and uh, not saying that defense has been their strong suit this season but if you look at a combination of both the nhl roster and the pipeline defense is by far their strongest position just because of the quality prospects they have down the road so um and why not i mean you know 1.2 million dollar cap hit for just another season a team i'm sure there's a team out there that would love to have gustafson as a number five or number six defenseman who's a quality team and needs a guy on the power play that can score so two hot takes here i think the one guy that i'd really like to see moved is connor murphy um i don't think it'll happen but for uh nhl defenseman who's 25 who really hasn't really found his footing here with the blackhawks i think that's connor murphy Uh, i know there's been injuries i know stan bowman has a huge hard on for this guy but if there's one guy i think that you can move that's not really a core piece but carries a somewhat significant contract and isn't really a big staple. It's Connor Murphy. 
and I think that's more of my want than what's going to happen. The other guy I can actually see going is Forsling himself. Um, somebody who hasn't really found the footing, but has somewhat of a prospect pedigree where other teams would be interested in taking a flyer on him. Um, I know we bring up Gustafson, but I think that the Hawks are high enough on Gus that they want to see him succeed. He does prove himself when it comes to the offense. So keeping him around is beneficial for the Hawks. That's why I come back to Forsling where he's kind of been the odd man out and the injuries have been there. I can see him coming back for a few games if we can get him in the lineup and another team wanting to take a chance on a guy like Forsling. And I don't know what the return would be, maybe something around a third, second round pick if we're lucky. Um, but I don't I don't foresee Forsling as a huge staple on this de- on this defense, and I wouldn't be upset if he left. So I mean that's where you know those are my two guys who I really wouldn't care to see go and would probably bring back something but isn't a Duncan Keith and isn't a Gustafson. All right, we got a lot of good names out there. Um obviously none of these have been rumored. There really hasn't been much on that front um NHL hot stove wise, but the trade deadline is at the end of this month or excuse me, at the end of next month. We're not in February yet. It's February 25th. That's the deadline. So, um we will keep bringing those updates as they come in. Um they'll we'll put them out on our Twitter account and then we'll talk about them, break them down um as that those talks kind of heat up. I feel like that's kind of more of a post all-star game thing. Um, So just a couple of trends with this team. Um, We we want to take away some positives um, about this team over the past, uh, you know, little stretcher. I know there was that five game losing streak in there, but even on that, the power play has just been on fire. Um, They scored a goal power play goal in nine straight games. Uh, Both goals in regulation last night were power play goals. Um, Just a few numbers uh, before December 18th, the Hawks converted at, I think it was 11 or 12.5%, uh, just worse than the league, ranked 31st. And since that date, December 18th, they're 19 for 46, 39.6% best in the league. And Pittsburgh's the next closest, and they're at like 317 or something like that. So um, what do you think's been the biggest turnaround? I know we talked a little bit about Gustafson, but any other things you want to point out about why this power play has turned around? I think they finally have the the right personnel playing on the power play because I mean if you really look at it, the the second unit hasn't been terribly effective, uh, if effective at all, if we're being entirely honest. But they have a, a defenseman that can be a power play quarterback. You know, I, I know we we talk shit about Gus's defense, and sure he struggles defensively, but from a as a power play quarterback, he's been very good at it, and his skill set fits that well. And I think you're now starting to see them actually kind of be able to work that one three one ish type system it's not quite a one three one anymore now that Colleton's kind of put his hands on it a little more but you have you know to bring it over on the, the left half wall kind of in that ov quote unquote spot of that quick shot from the left dot Kaner gets to do his thing on the right wing wall um you know he's he's doing his thing over there and then you know Strom. I think has been honestly one of the biggest keys because he's a big body who's skilled enough to play down low. That was the problem they had earlier was that's what you weren't getting from Anisimov, but you ex- need it. 
you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, Anisimov is a big body, but he does not have the puck handling skills to play down low like that Strom does. And we've seen how impactful that's been because pucks that historically with Anisimov there may have gotten behind the goalie. Anisimov goes to get it, gets beat by a defenseman, defenseman clears it out of the zone, are now being won by Strom and either play back to the point or play back to Kane or play back to Taves or play back to somebody who can keep possession then for the Hawks. And then I think having Taves is kind of that – we'll call him the the like um, – I'm trying to remember. Like the rover. That was the term yeah. I was looking for. That's kind a, of that rover answer. player you know, in the slot. Uh, he kind of hovers between the dots, sometimes into the dots, will we'll freely rotate. He's really succeeding in that frame as well because Taves can play in front of the net. Taves can play, you know, in the crease. He can play everywhere. So, you know, Taves finally, I think, is playing in the right spot he needs to on that power play. But I'm telling you right now, I think he's kind of the unsung hero of the power play right now is Dylan Strom being in that position over Anisimov has, if nothing else, just from a puck possession standpoint, it has allowed Taves to play more naturally in his role instead of him trying to play out on the half wall. And then it's allowing to bring it to play out in that half wall and get those one-time opportunities from guys like Kane. Yeah, so obviously, um, I, I really like what you said about Strom there. Um, obviously, the guys that score the goals and throw the pretty assists, Kane and Debrinkit, they're going to get a lot of the attention for it, and rightfully so. You know, Debrinkit's got a great shot from that left circle. He's really growing into it. Um, the chemistry with Kane is just growing. You can see it every game, every time they're on the power play. Um, but Strom, I would agree 100, percent and that's why I brought up Anisimov. You just weren't getting it from him down there. Um, he's a little sloppy with the puck down there. Like you said, he wasn't as quick as Strom is, so he'd get beat um, by a defenseman there behind the net, so he couldn't keep it alive for someone else. Um, and I was really happy to see Strom get rewarded. Um, it was actually a five on three that the Blackhawks were on last night. Um, Taves got a stick snapped, uh, defenseman kind of slashed him, but it went uncalled. So, um, Kane, it, so Taves leaves the center of the ice. So now we're at a four on three. I mean, the Hawks are still up five on three, but Taves is going to retrieve a new stick. So it's four on three. Kane throws it down to Strom, um, kind of close to the goal line and he just takes it straight to the front of the net and then roofs one past laner um i thought that was great great to see him get rewarded there obviously a little more space when you only have three defense or uh yeah three defensive players out there instead of four but um if he keeps doing what he's doing um he'll definitely keep up his uh point per game percentage um that that's uh, that's one really positive thing we talk about trades and guys not panning out um, sorry for Nick Schmaltz. I think Tony and I talked about it, that he's injured out for the year. But now we are seeing a good return with uh, Dylan Strom. He's definitely finding a niche here, which is great to see as a former th- third overall. Yeah, third overall pick. So, um, Tony, you got anything on the power play? You know, I think that uh, that Ron kind of put it very well, is that the right personnel are out there. And I'd like to get on Carlton a lot earlier in his tenure for the ineffective lines. But I think he's actually kind of got a little bit of cue in him when it comes to rotating things up. And uh, I'm pretty happy with what, uh, what I see on the power play. I'd like to see some of these power play lines out in late game situations for, you know, if the Hawks are down one or two, I think that Kane Taves Strom line is just, absolutely phenomenal to watch and 
they've done nothing but put up goals ever since ever since they've gotten together on the power play so uh, I think that's completely the reason is that you just need three guys that can match together especially uh, for the forwards and then you add Gus to that it's almost like you're playing with four forwards and it's kind of reminiscent of what you used to see when uh, when Patrick Sharp would uh, kind of quarterback that power play and you'd have those four forwards out there and that's what I like to see so it's not surprising to me when you get you know your four best offensive guys out there uh, I'm kind of excluding Debrinkit and and Brandon Saad because I think those guys actually have a lot of offensive prowess. But Kane, Taves, Strom, Gustafson, it, it just meshes. It works, and that's where you see the success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talked about some of those lines there. So if you said you know about carrying them over, um, that definitely would be something interesting to see. Um, but right now, as the lines stand, I just wanted to get into the new look lines, just touch on it slightly. Um, the top line is intriguing because, you know, we saw it, or uh, excuse me, Q's uh, move when things weren't going well was a nuclear option. Put Kane and Taves together and then whoever else on the wing. Right now, Jeremy Colladin is going with that option. It's Drake Kajula, Jonathan Taves, and uh, Patrick Kane. And those guys, uh, that Sunday game was kind of the breakout game, the part, uh, breakout party for them. Um, the I, I think Ron was the one that mentioned it. Um, you know, Kane and Taves are going to take care of all the uh, possession, all the fancy work. Kajula can just go out there and be himself. And he, he has some ability. I saw him make a really nice full cross-ice pass through the uh, neutral zone yesterday, put it right on... Uh, I believe it was Tave stick um, to lead a breakout. So he does have some ability there, but I like that he can just be himself. Whereas he's, he's kinda, there to create you know, space, man. He yeah. creates fucking space for those guys to work. And I, I think I talked about it a little bit with like the, we miss Andrew Shaw and doesn't he kind of remind you kind of the same mindset, not the same player, but the same mindset. Like he's not afraid of anybody out there. Mm-hmm. The guy's missing fucking half a mouth of teeth, man. He's out there just yeah. fucking, you know, throwing hits, finishes checks. He's a hockey player, man, and that's what I like to see. And if you pair him up there, like you said, it, it's nuclear. But it's—I don't know if it's full nuclear because I feel like you'd put Brandon Sod out there as your like top three yeah. offensive guys, or maybe a Debrinket. But adding that guy that can create space, and nobody's gonna go fucking with Kane or Taves when Kajula's out there because you know he's gonna throw down. I, that line just works. It's sexy. It's awesome. I fucking love it. And I just crack beers every time they're out there because they're scoring fucking goals. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would call. I would call Kajula a a more skilled balls of the walls. Andrew Shaw. I mean, Andrew Shaw was a, a balls of the walls type player. I think Kajula has more ability in the end. But to your point, man, he's just. I'm gonna I'm gonna go 110 percent every shift. I'm gonna go get the puck for Taves and Kane. You know, and you and you hear him in the media talking about how you know he he emulated Taves and went to North Dakota and watched Patrick Kane. And he's like, now I get to play with these motherfuckers. He's like, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck they need me to go do. Like, you need me to go into the corner and get a puck? Yeah, I got you. You need me to go, you know, to the net and and crash? I got you. You need me to go make a, a skilled play and score? I got you. He's like, I'll do whatever the fuck these two want me to do because these two are like two of my idols. So I think I think that alone is just is you're starting to see, you know, 
they're they're gelling well and and he again he's a balls of the walls type player tony he, he's just gonna go out and get the job done yeah i love it i hope they stay together um i hope there's no change up going into it uh after the all-star break so we'll see what happens there um we've got a few more things just news things to clear up um before we get to what we're all waiting for ron's rant on jan ruda <laughs> um but the update on crawford um so Colin said he made a statement to the media um and he said, you know, he's not really asking every day, not in his ear, how are you feeling, whatever. He's about um, wanting him to just get better as a person. You know, there's no rush to get back on the ice. There's uh, want him to be happy, feel better. Um, and we'll see if he can play at the end of that. That was kind of the gist of that. It was a longer quote, but um, that it, it's kind of just compared to what we've seen over the past years and how tight lipped hockey in general, not just the Blackhawks have been. Um, about discussing injuries, it's kind of refreshing to. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to have seen Corey Crawford's last game, um, but you know, it, it is refreshing to see that transparency. So that, that's what I took from that, and uh, hope Crow takes his time. Yeah, we kind of read into this a little bit further um, amongst ourselves here, and. I feel like this kind of spells the end of Crawford's tenure for the Blackhawks as far as him being the number one goalie. Last year when you saw the same injury, I mean, the whole thing up until the Hawks were eliminated was when's Crawford coming back? When's he going to come save this team? I feel like Colleton's diminished the we need Corey Crawford to come back so that we can make the playoffs thing. Because I feel like that was kind of the mantra last year. Do you guys agree? Yeah. yeah I'm getting, I'm yes. getting head shakes. Oh, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was, yeah. I mean, it was I mean, like you ma- said, it was every day. The question was when's what's Crawford's status, you know? Right. And, and I feel like this year there hasn't really been that same focus on when's Corey coming back. When are we going to be the Hawks again? When are, when are we going to get our, you know, our number one goalie back? And I feel like that speaks volumes to what this organization looks at Calendalia as being. Because if we were doing that same thing and pushing this whole mantra of we, we're, we're still going to come back and make the playoffs, um, it would be when's Corey coming back. And there's literally been, outside of that statement, no big media push. There's been no you know, hype over what's Corey Crawford doing. Yeah, there were tweets about him being back on the ice, taking low shots. Nothing was high. Um, And that was, you know, when I looked at that, it was like, oh, Corey Crawford's taking shots in practice. And then you watch the video, and it's all low to the pads. There was nothing up high on him. He wasn't moving out of the ordinary for what would be all low shot practice, practice shots. There wasn't, uh, you know, Corey Crawford's working out by himself like we saw last year. There, there was tons of stuff every day. Corey's on the ice. He's taking practice before the team comes out. We're not getting any of that right now. So that statement kind of was a little bit of a sobering effect to we're probably not going to see Corey Crawford back this year, at least in my opinion. 
And I don't think that it's really good for the Hawks to have Corey Crawford back on the ice. It's not good for Corey Crawford to be back on the ice. And that's just kind of my take on it is that, you know, this is this is a guy who's been through two concussions now back-to-back in back-to-back years. He's put his work in, and it's kind of changing the guard here. I don't think Colleton or the Blackhawks want anybody focusing on when Corey Crawford is coming back because I don't think they they need Corey Crawford to come back. Yeah, I'd, I agree with that. Um, it, it's inter- It's just amazing what you can take out of a statement that's not a total just PR push like it has been in the past. Like I said, not just the Hawks all around the league when it relates to those types of injuries. So um, definitely something to read into there. And I, I, Tony, I kind of agree with you there. Um, we're not obviously still valued uh, member of this franchise, but it's it, it's not centered around him like it was last year um ron you got anything on that before we get to other injuries no i think just i i would say you know for his health too um you know i i don't think it's it's at all worth rushing him back and i know we've discussed that before so you know he's not playing but it's allowing a guy like colin delia to get a chance to get some nhl experience and and grow in his development so um you know we we, Corey's not going to be around forever regardless if he was healthy or not um so i think we're just seeing it a little prematurely than some of us would have thought but i i agree i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing if he's back on the ice this year because you know is he truly going to be 100 percent? and it at this point is it really going to help the team well, and at, at that rate, too, is like if he comes back, you're going to see Ward and Crawford again. And that doesn't help anything, in my opinion. It, it doesn't help you develop Delia at all for next year or for two years from now. It's You're not going to cut ties with Cam Ward. I mean, you could, but why would you at this point in time? You've got a guy who's healthy. He's on a one-year deal. You can ride him. Um, to to eat up some of those minutes, why why even entertain the thought of Crawford coming back? It it doesn't help anything. Maybe in in a we're gonna try and trade Corey, but you can LTIR him next year at the beginning of the year if you wanted to, and say he still has concussion symptoms, and just be on your merry way with Delia and whoever else, or he serves as the backup and he comes back next year. There's no benefit to bringing Corey Crawford back for any game this year at all. Yeah, good point there, Tony. Um, All right, on to some other injuries. Uh, Brendan Perlini is in the concussion protocol, our guy, Brendan Perlini. Uh, He didn't practice on Monday, skated with the team at Morning Skate Tuesday. Um, And then we had mentioned earlier when talking about the defensive logjam, Gustav Forsling, uh, upper torso injury, he is practicing and probably nearing a return. They have not set a date, um, but it will definitely be interesting to see how that affects the uh, blue line rotation there. Um, We had talked about it last week, Tony, the trade between uh, uh, the Lightning and the Hawks. We sent Jan Ruda to the Lightning and Slater Cuckoo, a guy who was not in the regular mix there down in Tampa, um, he's come here. He's gotten some minutes. Um, I wouldn't say he's been great by any means. There's been a couple of times where he's kind of screened the goalie, but I also don't think he's been a complete dumpster fire. So it, uh, it, it's just kind of a place 
filler right now, um, Slater Cuckoo, and I just wonder what's going to happen when Forsen comes back. So that, I think, will probably be answered as the trade deadline approaches um, coming up here. So um, with that, now that we're on that topic, we need to get to, since Ron was not with us last week when we talked about this trade, um, Ron, so we kind of, at Four Feathers here, each uh, panelist kind of has their gripe with somebody on the team, someone that they, whatever, not necessarily hate, but they just don't like. They get, it gets under their skin. It annoys them. Some of the stuff that they do on the ice for me, it's David camp. I've been fairly vocal about that. Um, Ron's guy was Jan Ruda when he was playing more earlier in the season. Obviously it stopped being part of that mix in mid December, but Ron did not have a chance to discuss this trade with Tony and I last week. So, the floor is yours, Ron. Say your farewell to Pylon. <laughs> oh, Jan. Oh, Pylon. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm very pleasantly happy that he is gone. I, I think clearly, um, you know, he needed to go. The 2.3 was a terrible mistake from the beginning that Stan gave him that contract. Uh, he's gone. He's Tampa's problem now. If he, you know, I know you guys discussed it briefly. If he becomes the third consecutive defenseman to walk away from the Blackhawks and win a Stanley Cup, good for him. He's not our problem anymore, and that makes me happy. Um, definitely want to note, though, a little disappointed that we can no longer make the uh, the Jan Pylon Ruda t-shirts anymore. Um, definitely a little disappointed about that. They were going to be bright, you know, just street cone orange <laughs> and you know we were going to put some fucking sequin on them to make them shine like an actual traffic cone it, it was going to be good it was going to be fun you know and and pile pion ruda and um but nonetheless he's gone he's down in tampa i don't even know if he's played a fucking game nor do he i care not. He is not. I actually checked in on one of the Bolts blogs down there, and they perfect. The, the the way that they were talking about him was about possibly being like a third pair option on some point, and then they're saying, "Oh, well, they could probably use him next year." And it's like, okay, well, you know, we really. They're like, "Oh, well, the guy who had written this article." Sorry, Ron, I'm not trying to take away from your time, but no, I'm no, just no. reading this. I was like, they were like, "This is the, the guy who wrote this article." I, I don't know what his name is, but it was on a, a Bolts blog, and he's like, "This is a guy that I was actually eyeing last year and was intrigued by, and was kind of hoping the Lightning would have moved for it." I was like, "Oh my dear God, you do not! You've obviously not watched enough of his uh, defensive lapses to get the full story on Jan Ruda." But you know what? We'll let you live in that fantasy land and believe it, because then you can experience it firsthand and be like, "Why the hell did we even, you know, trade a bag of pucks for this guy?" Agreed. Wait, He's Peter just... Chiarelli was allowed to reproduce. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, is, I, is it Yearsman down there in Tampa still? Yeah, no, like, that must be his illegitimate uh, child. Yeah, Yeiserman. Yeiserman stepped down right before the season. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about uh, that. Um, yeah, no, I, I I hate to break it to if Yeiserman was still GM, that trade never happened. So uh, thanks, Steve. Appreciate you stepping down and getting uh, Ruda off my ass because I'm sick and fucking tired of talking about him. So um, to to make it short and sweet, oh, Jan, oh, Jan, thank God you're gone. Uh, <laughs> we will not miss you one bit. Um, I'm just upset that I can no longer make money off of calling you a fucking pylon. So thanks, Jan Ruda. Hope you enjoy the warm weather in Tampa. If you win a cup, 
good for you. Um, things that clearly just didn't work out in Chicago and Stan gets to correct one of his terrible offseason mistakes, just like he did with Brandon Manning. Thanks, Peter Cirelli. Yeah. Well, well said, Ron. Um, I'm glad you got your words in. Uh, Tony and I had a field day with that last week, so um, we can move on from that now. Leave Pylon in the past. Um, all right. Barry Smith finally leaving the bench. Thank Hell let's, yes. Uh, let's, oh, my God. Let's, let's throw a party right now. Um, I need to go get another anyway. beer so I can crack one just for Barry Smith leaving. Um, yeah. I'm, so gonna, is, I'm, I'm actually going to go do that. I'm going to go get a beer so that I can crack one for Barry Smith not ever being on my TV ever again. All right. Well, let me give a few points. Um, just get the fans updated, yeah, and then you can come back and uh, give your Barry Smith rant on. All right. So Barry Smith is finally leaving the bench. Um, this move was kind of premeditated. Um, they had said that it was kind of more of a when he was uh, when you know Colladin was um, hired after Q was gone, um, and they brought in you know they cleared house on the assistant coaches. Uh, or not fully, but, you know, they uh, brought in Barry Smith down from the um, front office to come down and actually be on the bench as an assistant coach. This was kind of a temporary move because they didn't want to disrupt Rockford. Now Sheldon Brookbanks there, so they were kind of having three assistant coaches there. But now Barry Smith, I think it's been his last game. So his last practice was Monday with the team, whatever. He talked to them, said their farewells on Monday. But he's still behind the bench um, on Tuesday night against uh, the Islanders, he did the, the uh, you know, second intermission interview that Pat and Eddie, I guess it was Cottonroyd last night, but they always talk to one of the assistant coaches. He put on a headset. Hopefully, I think that's the last time. I cannot see him being back on there after the All-Star break, unless it's some charade that they're putting out, but I highly doubt that. They have Sheldon Burkbank there, Granados there. Um, that seems to be the coaching staff that's going to be in place. Uh, Barry Smith will be returning to his role as director of player evaluation so um thank god thank god we had talked about it on the q show about how we hated so much that he was there he was only a plug for the front office guys uh tony speak your mind there we go all right so barry smith stan bowman's dingleberry that's been hanging around far too long is finally getting wiped out and put in the toilet where he belongs, back up in the box office. I'm so fucking happy that Barry Smith will no longer be present on my TV during intermissions. There's nothing worse than coming back from a Toyota commercial and seeing Barry Smith's fucking face right there, where he just looks absolutely fucking lost because he had to put a headset on, and he doesn't know (laughs) how it works. I can't believe that Pat Foley would actually put up with the fact where he'd go, and we're going down to Barry Smith. And then Barry Smith would sit there incoherently looking and staring off into space, probably looking up at Stan and wondering, I hope I'm doing Stan well right now. And then spewing some bullshit about how the power play is doing well when it wasn't even his fucking direction that had anything to do with how the power play was. Barry, I hope you enjoy the two-ply toilet paper that Stan finally took to his ass crack and wiped you back into the front office. Goodbye, Barry Smith. I'm done with you. And I very well look forward to seeing Sheldon Brookbank on my TV instead of your old, crusty face give intermission interviews. That's all I have to say about Barry Smith. Thank you, and good night.
<laughs> oh my god we, uh, but, you're on a roll right rolling. now Ryan's farewell to Ruta. Tony's farewell to Barry Smith. This is uh, quality content. This is, this is what you listen for. Oh, uh, you know what? I don't even have anything to add. I already said my sort of bit while Tony was going to get his beers there. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, Tony, you summed it up. Ron, I'm assuming you don't have anything else. No, we're just going to roll uh, with that. Two oh, plied yeah. toilet paper. Two plied toilet paper. That's one of the best analogies uh, that we have heard on the show. I think it might be the best. Uh, I, I can't really, none other that stick out to me that were as, um, you know, well descriptive as that one was. Um, okay, two more topics here. Uh, quick prospect report. We haven't done one of these in a while. Want to keep you updated on what's going on down in Rockford, NCAA, and in the OHL, QMJHL, um, and overseas. So Dylan Sakura, even though he's only played 33 games um, for Rockford this year, he's their leading scorer. Rockford's in a shitty spot this year. Um, Sakura's got 11 goals and 12 assists um, through 33 games, like I had mentioned, for Rockford. Um, they're kind of sitting at the bottom of that those standings there. So kind of sucks that we had a poach from them with Sheldon Brookbank there. But, um, you know, Kaladin's got to have his guys on the bench. So... Um, that sucks for Rockford, but other than that, Darren Radish down there, 22 points. Um, that could be a possible D man to look out for. Although, you know, most of these guys in Rockford, unless you're really tearing it up, it, it's highly unlikely that they'll be they're a dumpster fire shooters. themselves. Yeah. Um, so then the, let's get to the promising guys, Adam Boquist. He's got 11 goals and 20 assists through 30 games and the OHL for the London Knights. Um, we had already talked about his world junior uh, championship performance uh, previously, but he scored a nice overtime goal. Um, and he, I mean, that kid is just going to develop. He's only 18 years old. Um, that That's going to be a fun one to watch. I feel like, you know, we had talked about Yoki Haru. I think the hype was kind of there because we were kind of barren on defense. Whereas I think, you know, Boquist is going to be the real deal and given enough time to develop. Um over, let's see, yeah, Philip Kurashev, who had himself a decent uh, World Juniors, was it? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, so he's got 18 goals and 26 assists um, through 39 games up in the QMJHL for Quebec. Mackenzie Entwistle, 15 goals and 12 assists through 29 games. Um, well, actually, that was with the OHL um Hamilton Bulldogs, and then we had mentioned that he was traded to the Gulaf, Gulaf, Golaf, Golaf Storm. Um, Gelf. He's Gelf. So he's got uh, three goals, seven assists, ten points in just eight games with them. Um, that was a big trade for, you know, he's a captain of that OHL uh, Hamilton team. So uh, just interesting to see a guy like that on the move, but good to see him producing in his new home there. Um, Nicholas Bodine, um, he's up in the QMJHL for Drummondville. Seven goals, 33 assists. So this guy's just spreading it all around the ice up there. That's through 33 games. Um, so good to see these guys over a point per game producing um, for our potential next back-end guys. Um, Maxim Shalinov overseas in the KHL, 13 goals, seven assists through 44 games. Um then our NCAA guys, Ian Mitchell, three goals, 12 assists um, through 19 games for Denver, University of Denver. And then Evan Barrett, 14 goals, 18 assists through 21 games for Penn State. That guy's tearing it up. Um, I'd posted this. It was two weeks ago, well, almost two weeks ago. He had hit this just ridiculous shorthanded effort 
Um, I sent you guys the highlight. Um, I mean, just absolutely incredible. But both those guys I'd mentioned, Barrett and Mitchell, both up for the Hobie Baker Award. Um, not sure if the voting's still going on, but we had posted those links on our Twitter. If it's still up, we'll refresh it, throw another update out there. But go and vote for one of them. I didn't know you could only vote for one, so I'd voted Barrett first. But give Ian Mitchell and Evan Barrett some love on that because they're both deserving. So um, let's talk about the week ahead. Um, it's the All-Star break. So the Hawks, at least they went into the, note, into the All-Star break on a high note. Uh, those two wins against quality teams there. Um their next game won't be until Friday, February 1st at Buffalo. We will be recording before then, but um, that's the break that we got. So bear with us through the break, and we'll have a fun show next week for it. Um, but at the All-Star break, uh, Patrick Kane is the lone Blackhawks representative. So, um, you know, I saw a tweet. I don't know if you guys saw John Scott say that, uh, you know, it was a picture of them fake fighting from the All-Star game when Scott was uh, MVP and all that. He's like, oh, I can't believe they're letting this guy into the All-Star game. No place in the uh, yeah. game for players like this they're, at NHL. They're letting this goon in the uh, All-Star game. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, that was comical from the always funny John Scott. Um, all right, that's uh, that's all I've got. You guys got anything else you want to air out? Where's Tyler? Yeah, where's Tyler? He's fired. He's fired. Definitely fired. Ron? Am I fired or am I no. rehired? No, you're st- you're still here. Oh, okay. That's I good. didn't fire you yet. Yet. Keyword being yet. Yeah. Um, no, I think just a quick little end. Good to be back. Uh, missed you guys last week. Uh, great interview from uh, Miss Jillian Fisher. Uh, thanks to her again. I really didn't get a chance to thank her. Uh was a fantastic interview um looking forward to talking more blackhawks a little more fun episode next time around uh looking forward to friday i'm sure we'll have stories for our next episode absolutely uh, from this friday so um i won't make a complete fool of myself but i can't make any promises so we're all drinking um, this friday if uh if anybody's interested yes um ron Johnny and I will be uh, partaking in a little uh, extracurricular drinking activities that are going to take place in regards to uh, the White Sox Twitter. Um, there's going to be a Sox Fest after party, and we're all going to be in attendance. It's going to be good for the Four Feathers group to get together. So uh, we're looking forward to getting Ron drunk enough to get fired. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'll be if you're a White Sox fan listening to this. Um, that. Sox Fest after party is at Buffalo Wings and Rings on Friday night. Um, it's in Bridgeport, about four blocks from uh, the ballpark. So um, that's where Tony and Ron and I will be Friday night, and it should be a great time. Um, we haven't gotten this Four Feathers group together in person, so you hear us, and sure, we're all here on a Skype call um, every time we record, but you know, um, we'll we'll definitely be sure to, if there's anything funny, noteworthy, we'll tweet it, we'll uh, Instagram it, that's, that's another thing. We're on Instagram, too, so follow us. Same handle as Twitter, at 4FeathersPod, all one word. Um, that's uh, that's all I got. Oh, and then one other thing Ron had mentioned about a fun show next week. It is going to be a fun show. We're going to have stories, questions, um, just kind of a you know, lighthearted all-star break episode to tide you over until the Blackhawks are back next Friday. 
So if you have any questions for us, it can be anything NHL related, um, Blackhawks related. Obviously, we can answer serious questions. If you have a joke one, if you uh, want to send us a joke, um, we can read it. Whatever. We're up for anything on this next show. Um, but yeah, if you can slide into our Twitter DMs, just tweet at us, Instagram DMs, wherever uh, we will find it. We will incorporate it into the show. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to episode 17 of the Four Feathers podcast. As always, go Blackhawks. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Hawks.